0: Hello and welcome to Building High Performance Cultures, a weekly series where we talk with culturepreneurs from top organizations about how they've built high performance cultures and how they're putting culture at the center of strategy to help drive exceptional performance. I'm Marty Parker, the President and CEO of Waterstone Human Capital, and my guest today is the President and CEO of Medical Alert Foundation Canada, Leslie McGill. Leslie, welcome to Building High Performance Cultures.
1: Thanks, Marty. It's really great to be here.
0: It's great to have you. Now, a little bit uh, more detail about Leslie. She, in fact, became the president and CEO of Medical Alert Foundation Canada in May 2020. Interesting timing, to say the least. Now, Leslie's a passionate healthcare champion. She spent more than 30 years, sorry, Leslie, but I, I know it's hard <laughs> to me, in the healthcare sector, <laughs> primarily focused on ad, advocacy, fundraising, and innovation. She joined uh, MediClerk as the Senior Vice President of Growth Strategy in 2019, coming from one of Canada's best known digital technology agencies, and she's also held senior executive positions with an Ontario Crown Corporation and one of the best known public relations firms, and two of Canada's most recognized academic health sciences centers. And consulting clients have included several iconic Canadian and global brands. Leslie is also strongly connected to the community, having served on various boards and board committees for Meals on Wheels, Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Thames Valley Children's Centre, and the Ontario Education Collaborative Marketplace. And of course, under Leslie's leadership, Medical Earth Foundation was named a Canada's Most Admired Corporate Cultures Award winner in 2020. Now Leslie, for those who aren't familiar with Medical Earth Foundation Canada, Tell us a little bit about the organization and the culture you have there.
1: Great. Thanks, Marty. I appreciate it. The easiest way to recognize MedicAlert, and most people have an aha moment, is when I show them this. Most people will recognize us by our IDs or bracelets. Um, And we have been around for 60 years providing essentially what I like to call a bridge between the community and the acute care, healthcare environment. And what I mean by a bridge is that we provide uh, first responders, so police, fire and ambulance with health information that helps them to do their jobs more effectively when they're impacted uh, with somebody with a health issue. So paramedics are the very obvious choice, but police and firefighters, people may not know, actually the vast majority of their calls are related to health or mental health and wellness. Um, Not necessarily what you might consider uh, when you're talking about fire or police. So these are robust relationships that we have. And when we talk about how that interfaces with our culture, it really comes down to how we work. And one of the key values we have as an organization is kindness, um, which I love as a value in an organization. Uh, I've never seen that in any of the other organizations that I've worked in and we live it in spades. And when you're dealing with people who are in a health crisis, not just simply people who have a health condition, but people who are in crisis, uh, when you can't speak for yourself, perhaps, or you can't speak for a loved one because they're experiencing trauma and you by extension are experiencing trauma, then kindness is the thing that we lead with. And that permeates everything that we do as an organization and everything we do uh, in terms of how we treat each other inside our organization. There are other values that go along with that, but that is the one that leads for us for sure.
0: And it is it, it is unique. It sounds so simple and so clear and you know, so well-intentioned, but it, it isn't common as you say. Leslie, as the president and CEO, you know, what, what is your role when it comes to culture?
1: Well, um, this is no word of a lie, Marty, Um, I have a set of pom poms in my office, and uh, that doesn't go back to my old cheerleading days, although I was a cheerleader back in high school, but what I am is, is a culture cheerleader for our organization, and that means so many different things to so many different people. But for me, um, as the president and CEO, uh, if I don't carry and and cheer on the team from uh, what we do and how we work and how we want to work, because it's a continuous process in uh, in our environment as it is in others, then um, there isn't a level of authenticity that uh, sort of permeates the organization. So literally, I bring my pom-poms out at every town hall that we have, and we we cheer everybody on. And so, and part of that also is taking the opportunity and time to recognize staff um, at every turn, no matter whether it's a significant thing that an individual or a team has achieved or whether it's something small, but something small that made a significant difference either in somebody's day or in a project or to the overall culture of the organization. Those are things that we recognize and we value through uh, something called kudos, it's simple. Um, And those kudos come verbally, they come uh, and we use Microsoft Teams as part of our our culture to connect, especially during COVID. And those things are shared openly every single day with the staff. It's not a once a week, it's not a once a month, it's a daily habit in our organization. And that really drives the difference. And that comes from me. I look for kudos every day. um, And I try to look across the organization, not just with my direct reports and not just with the management team. Um, and most often it's very easy to find because we have staff members in frontline who deal with our subscribers and the wonderful feedback that we get from our subscribers is very easy for me to just lift and say, congratulations for making that person's day.
0: Right. Interesting. Leslie, where did these views and your views particularly on corporate culture and on leadership's role in culture from?
1: Um, I have to wind back to the first part of the 30 years uh, in working in healthcare, Marty. Um, I was very, very fortunate to work uh, in a hospital at that time. Uh, This would be back in the mid-90s when hospitals in the province of Ontario were going through mergers. And so I was a part of a management team. I was very junior. My boss actually didn't want the role of joining the management team uh, for the culture change. Um, It was an organization where we were bringing two hospitals together, and we went from 197 managers down to 60 in two months. It was a huge change management experience. And I learned from two incredible mentors. One was the the CEO or the ultimate CEO of the hospital, um, who has remained a mentor of mine throughout my career. And the other was from another fabulous mentor who became my boss. Um, as we merged organizations together. So I had a woman as my boss, and I there was a man as is the CEO of the hospital. And I got different perspectives on what it meant to be a leader and what it meant to drive corporate culture. And culture was the very first thing the CEO paid attention to in um, merging two organizations together. Going from 197 managers to 60 in two months was no small feat. And he did it with compassion. He did it with... Uh, trust and development of trust. And he did it with courage. And I think those are three things that I remember the most about that experience because it wasn't easy. And then sort of a microcosm um, because I went from working in a hospital department to working with an ind- independent foundation at the time. And my boss was an incredible um, empath. And the I remember the conversations that she and I had about growth. She knew I was a builder and wanted to ultimately be a CEO um, at some point in my career. And so uh, she would actually take the time. And it wasn't just with me, it was with everybody in the organization who wanted this kind of mentoring. And we'd sit on the back step of our building and we would just have conversations or I would have the conversation and she would listen. And those were seminal moments for me as a leader. And I've incorporated both the big picture and the small picture leadership things um, into the way that I look and, and, and work with the team at Medical Alert. And those things are innate in me now. It's very hard to separate leadership and culture for me.
0: Interesting. Great, great story, really. And and like so many others, comes from some of the mentors and others that you've experienced and and clearly continues to develop. Um, I'm curious to know, Leslie, what does uh, high performance look like at Medical Earth Foundation
1: Canada? Wow, there's so many ways that high performance comes into play. But I think if I were really to pin it down to one word or one thing, it's respect. Um, And we have worked very, very hard as an organization over the course of the last uh, 18 months um, to really foster a sense of respect. And that respect has broken down what would be traditionally considered to be silos within Mm -hmm. an organization everybody comes to work and has their job to do, puts their head down and gets things done. But I don't see that as high performance. I see that as operationally successful, but not necessarily high performance because you're only staying in your own lane. So what we do is we give permission to others in um, what would classically be called a safe space. Um, We like to call it a brave space. Uh, a little bit of a different interpretation, um, and that speaks to something else that's very important to our organization, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. But if, uh, when we take a look at respect um, and, and being in a brave space and individuals feeling comfortable sharing ideas, it could be an idea that somebody has outside of their essential um, area of accountability, but an observation. That they might have or it could be something where something that somebody else is doing is touching upon their area and there could be a slight change in a program or a project that might uh, come from just having a discussion um, that's led with empathy and respect and so what that has done for us and what that did actually during COVID in particular was shield us. Uh, from some of the, the challenges. Uh, we work in a sector, uh, the not-for-profit sector, the charitable sector, actually saw a decline in revenue on average of 43% during COVID. Huge, huge impact in the charitable sector. We were lucky as a charity. Um, and, I, I, uh, and I say that because we had a revenue decline as well, but it wasn't even close to 43%. Um, but, but I credit the team. For coming together and problem solving together, um, and you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, and I think that might be a part of what drove us. It was that perfect storm of COVID, of a new CEO, um, and um, and the impact of a revenue decline that ultimately charged us up, I'd say, as an organization, and created that success that we will want. We want to continue. Once you have a taste of it, it's very hard to let that go.
0: Yeah, no, no question at all. Um, how does your culture and your purpose overlap?
1: I'd like to say it's as easy as it's one and the same. Um, as a mission-based organization, we're in the business of making communities thrive, um, not individual shareholders, for example. Um, so the, the, the purpose that we drive and the, um, and the individuals that we help and support Um, uh, Those are people with health crises. Those are marginalized and disadvantaged communities typically. Um, So that kindness piece that I spoke about earlier goes a long way. Um, The culture of help and support goes a long way in our environment because we are there um, working in crisis and emergency situations to be able to support people who may not necessarily be able to do that for themselves. So um, when we sort of take our organization as a bit of a microcosm, We spend a lot of time helping each other. Um, We spend a lot of time uh, working with each other to grow and develop, uh, whether it's skill sets, whether it's um, education, whether it's uh, training, whether it's just simply the ability to be able to recognize uh, an impact from home that might be having an impact at work. Um, We drive those things because um, we always like to say that health is the one thing that is most precious to everyone. And if you don't have your health, you can't do anything else. And so we practice what we preach inside our organization and then we deliver that to the individuals that we help and serve. So that is is really where those two things cohabitate for us.
0: Very interesting, very, very interesting in fact. Um, in In your 2020 Canada's Most Admired Corporate Cultures Award submission, you highlighted the important role, and you mentioned it early, earlier, that diversity, equity, and inclusion play at the foundation. And I know the Medical University Foundation Canada is one of the signatories of the Black North Initiative pledge. Yeah. So talk about some of the ways that your team has made DEI central to your culture and the impact it's having, if you would.
1: Oh, wow, this is something I could go on forever about because diversity, equity, and inclusion in the space of healthcare in particular is so important when we take a look at the makeup of our country and population of our country, particularly if you're politically minded, you'll recognize when the gateway opened to immigration and what happened for Canada is that our population dynamics from an ethnic and cultural perspective shifted dramatically in Mm -hmm. the Trudeau years. Um, I'm, I'm dating myself there, but effectively it was a change in immigration policy. Um, that doesn't change, and healthcare doesn't know geographic boundaries. It doesn't know uh, dimensions of race, gender, culture, or any of those sorts of those sorts of things. So when we take a look at diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, we need to mirror what's going on in the environment and um, the the people that we serve. And I go back to COVID in particular. It's a really sort of galvanizing moment for the healthcare sector, where we recognize that. Um, uh, marginalized populations uh, were um, impacted more significantly than other populations during COVID. And we have a very diverse workforce. Actually, since we submitted to Waterstone last year, um, our um, uh, demographics of our staff have changed. Uh, We were about 42%, um, uh, BIPOC if you want to use that term, in our organization um, prior to COVID or upon our submission when I came in as CEO, we are now 62%. Um, So we have focused our energy and our efforts on recruiting um, to reflect the individuals we serve, um, which in turn then gives us a different kind of perspective. And where one of the areas in our organization where we closely, most closely mirror the population we serve is actually in a group of individuals called medical profile specialists. We have the great fortune to have um, uh, actually very soon we will have 13 internationally trained physicians on staff. These are individuals who, because of um, the system and the process, cannot get um, um, the ability to practice medicine in Canada. Um, it's a very difficult road to travel for internationally trained physicians. Uh, most of them are looking to work more closely in something that's related to their field. I've written about this in a blog post that, uh, that, uh, that I have on uh, my LinkedIn page. But at the same time, um, the, the, the incredible talent uh, and wealth and knowledge of individuals coming from Iran, Iraq, Uganda, uh, you name it. Uh, it These individuals come from different kinds of cultures and can work to help internally, uh, help us recognize the value of different perspectives, uh, value global perspective, and also help directly our subscriber base, um, who some of them don't speak English, um, and some of that's, that's been very hard as an organization. So we encourage our medical profile specialists, if you recognize the individual in the language that they speak, go ahead and speak to them in that language if you speak it. Um, and uh, that creates a trust bond, um, that gives great satisfaction to a specific group of employees and allows us, the rest of us, to watch and mirror the, the behavior Uh, of others who are working on behalf of um, people from their own home cultures, for example. So it's really quite fascinating. And we've adopted that in our board strategy in terms of recruitment. We've adopted it with our recruiting strategies for staff. We've incorporated diversity, equity and inclusion into our our, what we call our uh, variable pay pay plan, which applies to every staff member. So uh, we measure on a balanced scorecard. Uh, diversity, Equity, Inclusion sits in those that people part of that quadrant and um, as we get more sophisticated in our DE and I activities, we will be able to increase the number of measures in our balanced scorecard related to diversity, equity, inclusion. So as I said, I can talk about this forever, I think it's, um, uh, it's a great, we, we work in a human business and humans come in all shapes and sizes and it it's, uh, needs to be reflected in the individuals we have on our team serving individuals in the community.
0: And, and that really leads me to my next question, which is as a leader, what do you see as your role when it comes to championing these discussions or these issues within the workplace?
1: So um, I, I can't separate myself from the activity that, that I do from a championing perspective. Um, it's just who I am innately. Um, and it is a part of what we look for when we hire in our, um, in our staffing structure, we've had uh, significant, significant changes in our management structure and in our recruiting practices. And one of the questions we ask is a specific diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, uh, so it's not just me. Um, I get those pom-poms out, yes, of course, and I share, and, I share um, and we discuss. And I think that's probably the most important role that I can play is to create that opportunity for discussion no matter what the content is Uh, those hard conversations that can, uh, can accompany this dialogue around diversity, equity and inclusion, and to recognize that people are at different places in their journey. Um, That has certainly been an eye opening experience for me. I tend to be on the on the front end of that as a as a white cisgender woman of privilege. I recognize those kinds of things. But The opposite is is maybe there for other members of of my team who didn't necessarily have the knowledge exposure and we're trying to help to educate and support. And we can do that from within our organization and we can do that from outside of our organization. So we get multiple perspectives.
0: It's a lot, it's a lot. It is. There's a a lot more to do for all of us. So I love this discussion because there's always things we can share and learn from what others are doing. In the last year, just to add uh, something to make it more complicated, <laughs> yes. more challenging, you completed a rebrand at Medical Work Foundation Canada. And I'm curious to know, Leslie, what impact did culture play as you were exploring and rolling out uh, that the new brand?
1: It's, it's a great question, Marty. And I think probably more than ever before, culture played a significant uh, impact on our brand. Um, for those who don't necessarily know, Medical Alert is part of a bigger family, global family of Medical Alerts. Uh, medical Alert was actually founded in the US, uh, mm-hmm. but there are 13 Medical Alerts around the world. So there are some very interesting conversations that happen about brand with the CEOs who I uh, chat with on a regular basis from around the globe, because there's a, a level of consistency that we have to maintain in order to make sure that when people travel to the countries where Medical Alert is and exists that people recognize and understand um, because people migrate globally and we want to make sure that people recognize and understand and consistency of brand is one but in Canada we spent a lot of time focusing on who we are and who we serve as a part of the discussion around the rebrand and I go back to those central tenets of culture within the organization um, that talk about people first Um, empathy, kindness, respect, all of those kinds of things. And that rolled very much into the rebrand. If you take a look at, then the easiest way to recognize all of this is uh, is in the visual identity. That's where most people recognize um, brand is in the pictures and, and imagery that we share. And we were very, before we were very stiff, I guess is a good way of describing what we looked like. And it didn't match anything Uh, uh, in terms of the culture that we have as an organization. And it was was actually contraindicated, uh, to use a medical term, um, to how we felt and how we behaved inside the organization. So if you now take a look at some of the work that we have in the marketplace right now, it's very heavily focused on empathy. It's very much focused on human interaction and the dialogues we have with our family members and our loved ones and our care providers. Um, and it is not about a service. The, the healthcare journey is a, is a conversation. And there's so many people that play a role in that. We are one part of that, but it's a continuous conversation. And that's what's reflected in our brand. That's what's reflected as we serve our, our clients or our subscribers. Um, some of our subscribers, like me, I'm a 40-year subscriber to Medical Alert. I joined when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And if you'd asked me what I cared about when I was 16, it's certainly different than what I care about now in my mid-50s. And um, so it is an ongoing conversation that we have, and that is reflective now of the brand um, in all aspects of managing that brand.
0: Yeah, interesting. You've you've also undergone significant changes to the way you recruit and hire for cultural fit. Um, So talk a little bit about those changes and perhaps why they were important.
1: So um, there are so many places to begin that conversation. I think really, if I were honest, I would say that it is a part of our whole um, emphasis and focus on diversity, equity and inclusion and the individuals we serve. So there's, um, there's uh, practices as simple as blinding resumes. So we don't have preconceived notions of gender. We don't have preconceived notions of, or bias uh, relative to education. Um, what we are really looking for is experience coming in. Does the experience of the individual line up to the requirements that we have? Um, and do individuals, the other question that we asked, I mentioned the diversity, equity, inclusion question that we asked. We also ask about mission and um, people's value, uh, essentially value chain, if you will, not in the business sense, but in the human sense um, about uh, the impact that they want to have. And oftentimes what we are looking for from a fit perspective is something a little bit different that you would often hear in the charitable sector. Well, I want to help. Um, of course, that's just part of the vocation of working in this sector. But when you hear people's stories about personal impact or the recognition and understanding of their own lives, um, uh, that brings people ties people a little bit more closely to our mission as an organization. And what we're finding in our recruiting practices over the course of the last year is that's universal. It's not a Canadian thing. It's a universal thing, it's a global thing. And, um, and when we bring hires in and what we actually have seen in the last year is that we've hired more people from um, global and international backgrounds than we have people from, from Canada. And that's uh, a testament to the understanding of what inherent biases we had as an organization coming in. Um, so, it's I think it's a great thing um, for us to be able to mix it up a little bit more um, and so the culture fit is clearly something that is important to us and it's working because the experiences now, um, 12 months after our submission to Waterstone, um, it's like, it's like night and day, Marty. I can't say enough about how much of a change our organization has gone through and the recruiting and HR practices have been such an important part of our growth as an organization in the last year.
0: Mm, you know, that's great. I'm delighted to hear that because sometimes it takes some time uh, and it's, it's not easy. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspectives, Leslie, on the one thing you'd like people to better understand about working in the not-for-profit sector.
1: Um, Well, those of us who work in the not-for-profit sector totally get it. But what I'd like to say for others who may not necessarily have had this experience is, it's just like working in the for-profit sector, except our profits go to, as I said before, community versus shareholders. Mm -hmm. If you take a look at some statistics, I mean, there are 170,000 charities in Canada. A lot of people don't really recognize that. You hear about the big ones and those are ones that are easy to recognize. Um, But there are a lot of organizations, many more at the grassroots level, uh, that work at a community grassroots level, and they're amazing organizations. Um, But the other thing that people may not necessarily recognize or understand is that the charitable sector contributes uh, 8.1% to the GDP of Canada. That's almost as much as the oil and gas industry. And when you really take a look at that, we are a part of the economic engine of this country an important part of the economic engine of this country because what we do stays invested in the people of Canada. And I think that's the And when you have a healthy population and you have a, a, um, a healthy essentially um, uh, contribution or people who are, can, can contribute to the economy because their health is good, then it is part of the engine that keeps us going. Uh, and I don't want people to forget about that and think of it, it's a nice to have, it's a luxury to have. Um, It's not a luxury. Um, The charity sector, the not-for-profit sector impacts health, arts, culture, um, uh, and so many other parts of who we are as human beings. And for those who don't necessarily have the means, um, this is the way that we support uh, individuals. So... Um, I I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now but I but I think it's a really important reflection that not many people pause and think about when they think about the not-for-profit and charitable sector.
0: No, absolutely true. And, and 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 look, this has been a challenging year for everyone, but particularly the not-for-profit sector. We talked about some of the some of the factors that have impacted that, but what has the COVID-19 pandemic taught you about culture?
1: I would say that If your culture is good, it trumps a virus. And that has been what we experienced at Medical Alert. Um, We have a strong corporate culture. We shifted the way that we did a few things within our organization, but we borrowed some of the really good things that we had in place already. Daily standups, regular meetings, touch points, um, agile management methodology. Those were all things that were in place before COVID. We just put them online. And so we didn't miss a beat. We went from being in the office as an organization to 24 hours later being, well, less than 24 hours, being up and running from everybody going to home with the exception of our mailroom. Uh, we still do 25% of our business by mail. And so we have a fabulous team that's still in the office doing their things. We were considered an essential service, but we haven't forgotten about, um, uh, I, I'll mention them by name, Doug and Joe, um, who ran our mailroom are still running our mailroom um, and the importance of recognizing the work that they do. They're sitting in 16,000 square feet right now um, with, with limited contact to other people and they're the ones who are holding the, the Ford, if you will. Um, and the, the thanks and the recognition and the, the culture that we have is incredible. We, we're celebrating our 60th anniversary this year. And um, the executive team decided uh, with just a small gift uh, that we, we got each of our staff members, but we decided that we would drive those small gifts to every one of our, where, within the GTA where our head office is. Mm. Um, so we weren't gonna to go to Newfoundland where we have one staff member and we weren't going to Victoria where we have another staff member, but um, where we could drive, we drove those and took the time to spend five minutes on the porch or uh, up on the balcony or whatever it may happen to have been, just to have a, a little chat with our staff. And the, um, the, the joy, I guess is a good word of describing that, the interaction, um, that we're having, we're not coming back to the same office um, that uh, we left, um, but uh, the same spirit that we had before we left is still there and it will be there when we, when we reconfigure whatever it is that we look like when we go back.
0: Mm, wonderful. Now, looking ahead, we're gonna, we've been talking about kind of what's been happening and all the changes and the impact, but looking at, say, three or four or even five years, Leslie, what do you see? as critical to aligning your people and your culture and to sustaining your high-performance culture at Medical Earth Foundation Canada?
1: I think the key thing, Marty, is the the continuance of transparency. That's become a really important part. Um, So often in organizations, um, there's a a trickle-down effect where when you trickle to the front line of the organization, the trickle is small. Uh, We share everything in our organization, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, because a great idea can come from anywhere. I firmly believe that. And so we are working towards making people more comfortable. That wasn't always our corporate culture. Uh, So we are working very hard towards providing opportunities for staff to suggest an idea, to speak about a challenge or a problem. And that transparency um, and that Um, I don't think it's a two-way dialogue, I think it's a multi-way dialogue. Those are important things for us to be able to continue to sustain and grow and um, develop our our culture. The other thing that goes along with that is innovation. And a lot of people uh, think of innovation, and I do particularly, because I came from the tech sector, as technology. Uh, Technology is an uh, an empowering tool set for true innovation. And so those are the kinds of things we we have now developed an innovation division within our organization. We are working to develop our innovation pipeline. It could be technology innovation, it could be uh, operational innovation, no matter what it is. And those are the two things I think that are critical, innovation and transparency for us to succeed and continue to grow our high-performing culture.
0: Got it. My last question. Is what is the one piece of advice that you'd give to a young person or to a new leader who's just starting out on their high performance culture journey?
1: I think if I were to pick those things, I would, it would I would chalk it up to three things: um, lead with empathy, which is an undervalued leadership quality in my estimation. Mm-hmm. Lead with respect and lead with curiosity. That is a mixture, I think, that drives leaders, drives cultures and drives organizations. Yeah, I think so. Hopefully I take my own advice (laughs) and and continue uh, those. I learned those practices from my mentors. I hope I'm translating that to those I mentor as well and coach and um, the proof will be in the pudding.
0: Wonderful. Leslie, We this has been awesome to have you today. I just wanted to capture a couple of things. I think it's both innovative, so simple and uh, something we can all learn from is to, to have kindness as, as a value. Uh, and, but this concept of psychological safety through a brave space is I think a really interesting one because oftentimes, people think of not being judged, you know, not having, uh, uh, you know, uh, being free from fear of, 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 of making a mistake, but it doesn't mean, uh, that, that, that shouldn't come with a certain amount of, it, it does take some intestinal fortitude. And, and, and I love what you've said. Uh, but 60 great years does not come easily, nor does change after 60 great years. And you've had a, a huge amount of that in a short period of time, be it your brand or your physical location or the way of your recruiting for fit. Uh, And you know what? It's clear that in order to do all of those things as the leader and the CEO, you better have pom poms. And I think (laughs) (laughs) you've clearly been uh, more than a cheerleader but we've been uh, so fortunate to have you. So thank you to our guest today, Leslie McGill of Medical Work Foundation Canada.
1: Thank you, Marty. It's been great to join you and the team at Waterstone today.
0: Appreciate it. great to have you. And join us next week for another episode of Building High Performance Cultures. And in the meantime, if you want to learn more about the topic, please visit waterstonehc.com.